Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. I may have mentioned to you before the Bible that I received as a child. You know, if you opened it exactly to the middle, it hit Psalm 100. And I don't know how the printer did that, but uh, it highlighted for a youngster uh, in, in, uh, in the church, I guess, of about, ooh, what was that, fourth grade or something, about how important this psalm is. Any way you can encourage somebody to see this psalm and its importance is good. Psalm 100, this is God's inspired word. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him Bless His name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we ask now this word would be open to us. That we pray Your Holy Spirit would work in us, help us to see it, feel it. We pray, O oh Lord, that He might transform our thinking and our living, that we might be conformed to the mind and image of Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Psalm 100. It's an inventory psalm, they call it. A a psalm used to call the people of God together to public worship. Here it is, uh, about two-thirds of the way through the Psalter. For 3,000 years, this psalm has rung out, gathering the Lord's people to praise His name. In our own day, it's commonly known to the tune of the Old Hundredth, named after Louis Bourgeois, who we talked about a moment ago. A stately tune, one that's been paired with it down through the years from the Genevan Psalter of 1551. We've sung the whole of that psalm, and so I'll uh, spare your ears this evening. But most importantly, Psalm 100 was and I dare say is, on the lips of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the God-man. He is the one who has taken on flesh, dwelt among us, done His mediatorial work as our prophet, priest, and king in His humiliation. In resurrection and ascension, He is now in session on the very throne of God. This psalm, is His. And He sang it while on earth. And indeed it is sung in the courts of heaven. We look forward to singing it again in His presence. Even now as we sing it, our voices echo to the stars and beyond. To the very throne room of God. Where these words are true and sure. God indeed is the one to whom we should make a joyful noise, all the earth. We should serve Him with gladness. We should come into His presence with singing, for He's good. And His steadfast love, His covenant love, endures forever. With these inspired words, Jesus, who poured out His Holy Spirit upon David of old, 
Jesus calls us as his people to praise and thanksgiving. Psalm 100 is a great call to worship. It's one of the best. Its opening words are not unique, however. They are identical to Psalm 98.4a. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. So the words are not sui generis. They're not unique in and of themselves. But they're important. And their importance lies not in their uniqueness, but lies in the urgency of their call. With these words, God calls His people together to worship Him. All nations, all peoples, all creatures should come together and bow down and worship the Lord. He should be the object of our adoration and our praise. The imperative of worshiping Him and Him alone hits us in the opening words of this particular psalm. And it trumps all the other possibilities in our lives. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. This teaches us that we have no right not to sing. We have no right not to worship. We have no right not to praise. We can't stand like stones and turn our face against God. Rather, we should turn our face towards Him and incline our hearts to Him as well. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. He is the one that should draw our attention, not the idols of the peoples, not the idols of the earth or the figments of our imagination, not the fascinations of our heart, not the thing that we like and are obsessed with and can't let go of, but rather Yahweh, rather the Lord, rather the Lord God of hosts. He is the one to whom our worship should be directed and our adoration and praise be given. And this invitation from Him is both missional and life-changing. Verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness, come into His presence with singing. The psalmist wants everyone to come into God's presence. Everyone to come and rejoice before the Lord. And that means Jews, yes, but it also means Gentiles. Every people, every ethnos, every community, every culture to come and serve the Lord from their hearts. He wants singing. But it's not just singing for singing's sake. It's not just singing for some technical sense and usage. It's the life change that flows from the inner digesting of the singing that we're doing. These words are inspired, and as they're on their lips, they work our way into our minds and hearts. Singing the Word of God makes us feel differently, makes us think more properly and correctly. Our lives are inclined to the gladness and adoration of praise in all of their dimensions that we experience as we sing this psalm together. This psalm works on you and in you. 
it makes you different than you were before you sang it. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. You need to hear that. You need to sing that to the point where you can feel that. And you can live that. And it's just not anthropology. It's just not something that we do. God the Holy Spirit has given us this particular kind of composition. Not just a download of of statements for our brains in some prose sense, but this is poetry. It it gets down into our bones. It it makes us think and feel differently. It it taps our toe. It it puffs our lungs. It, it, It calls and propels us forward in great joy to worship the Lord. And knowing God here means confessing Him to be who He really is. Know, it says in verse 3, know that the Lord, He is God. He is the only true and living God. All other gods there but dead idols. God alone made and cares for and ministers to the people. He is God. He is the Lord. You know, it's easy for us in singing this to to think about how, how all those other people, you know, back in the dark ages, back, back centuries ago, those people who took hunks of wood and, and stone and they carved and chipped away, or, or with metal, they fashioned and they cast and they made idols, and, and we think, oh, how silly they were, and we do, do just the same. It's just that we don't use the medium of wood and stone We use the medium of thought and emotion. We have our idols that we feel such temptation of, but but we call it, we put it under the rubric of prosperity and culture and relevance. Do you know, you can smell them. Now, I get up in the morning and I... I enjoy a good cup of coffee or or a good cup of tea like any civilized person. But you know, you can go down to Starbucks and you just listen. And you just smell. And you can smell the idols, can you not? You don't have to go into Neiman Marcus. You don't have to go hang out in Target. Go into Walmart and walk around. It's everywhere. The idols that we enjoy are idols that tantalize and and that open our minds and and expand our horizons and and make comfort and, and pleasure and ease all the more felt. Oh, how we like to be entertained almost to death. But the psalmist rings out, His clarion call. Know that the Lord, that He is God. It is He who made us. We are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. This is covenant language. And so here the psalmist teaches us that serving the Lord involves loyalty to the covenant God 
of Israel. Here he teaches us that we're not just to be hearers of the word, but we are to be doers. We are not just even to be singers of the word. We are to be those who the singing impacts. The content changes, moves us in our lives to greater love and devotion and obedience in a more God-honoring direction. He's our God, and we are the people of His pasture. You know, Bob Dylan, he said at one point in his life, so truly, you've got to serve somebody. Now, you know, I, I'm not real good at singing. I, I tried a little bit this morning. and Two things happened. One was somebody who can't sing come up and, came up and said, that was great. And then somebody who can sing so it said to me, well, now, if you need me to sing that for you next time, just let me know. <laughs> it was all meant in good jest. But you know, uh, I can't sing Bob Dylan. I don't, I don't even look like him very much. And, but you know, he, he talked about everyday average things in the world like, you know, a barber. A barber cutting hair. And the way he sings it, you can just hear those little scissors go snip, snip, snip. Just like, just like that guy down at uh, Great Clips does to me. You know, he, they ask me every time I get in, the, get in the chair. They say, now, Mr. Rankin, I see here you want a four. And I said, well, if that's what it says, okay. And now, do you want it block or, or round? Or what is it? And I finally say to them, now look, I really don't know anything about this. And I'm here because you do. And if you would just make me look younger and more handsome, everything will be, work out with a big tip. And they say, okay. You all have to be the judge about whether that works or not. I may need a new coiffure. But you know, you may be a barber cutting hair but you got to serve somebody you may be a digger you may be digging a ditch you you may be composing music you you may be writing amazing programs to get more more oil out of the ground than the Saudis ever dream of I don't know what you do and if you tried to explain it to me I couldn't understand it but you have to serve somebody you have to serve according to the psalmist serve the Lord You are called to recognize the one who has made you. To recognize that you are His. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You are called to be His people. To be one of His sheep. To be in the company of His entire congregation. You are to know the Lord that He is God. That's the kind of worship that Psalm 110 calls us to. It's not just outward. You know, in the Old Testament, the the priests had certain garments and vestments. We don't tend to use those, at least not directly these days. Uh, When I was in Britain, it was always interesting to me. You could tell a man was from either the Highlands or Northern Ireland when he he had a collar. I hadn't really seen too many too many Protestants and Presbyterians and collars, and I, I had a visitor from Ulster one day, and I said to him, Harold, why, why do you wear the collar? You wear that quite religiously. Do you wear that to bed? And he looked at me and chuckled, and he said, oh, young man, he said, you've never been to Northern Ireland. And I said, no, I've never been. He said, you ride in black taxis, don't you? I said, yes. And he said, you know, every minister 
and every priest wears a collar in Northern Ireland. I said, why? And he said, because the IRAs never shot a one of us yet. (laughs) There are a lot of reasons why people wear different uniforms. In the Old Testament worship, this psalm would have been sung and and in the presence of the worship of God as as the song filled the tabernacle and filled the temple and, and went up like the smoke of the morning sacrifice to heaven as the people gathered to worship God. There would be vestments there. There would be all sorts of symbology in that Old Testament shadowy kind of form. It would be very impressive. They would like that in Starbucks. They would like the shadow. But do you like the substance? Because all of that pointed to Jesus Christ our Lord. We sing it together now and and we're fairly plain by comparison. I asked when I first got here, I said, now Fred, do you wear a robe when you do a wedding or you do a funeral or every week? And you see, I have, a, I have a Ph.D. robe from Edinburgh, and it's got a little red on it. And I thought, you know, that would be a pretty nice robe to show off. And he announced to me that we don't do that here. And so that's fine. <laughs> but, you know, we do have a uniform. We have certain suits we wear. We, we have a certain regimen, tie or no tie. And every group and people and culture has a certain form. And the form and order the psalmist makes clear that is important to God is one of the heart and one of the life, and one of covenant relationship with God. Do you know the Lord? Do you know Him? Do you bow your life before Him? Is He the Lord your God? Do you hear and respond to this call to worship? Do you come before Him as His people and the sheep of His pasture? And in addition to being a call to worship, it's also a call to thanksgiving. Now, you know, I wish it were Thanksgiving Day. It would be cooler in Houston. There would be turkey right after the service with cranberry sauce and lots of other goodies. But it's not the cultural accoutrements of Thanksgiving that are important to the psalmist. It's the heart of the matter. In verses 4 and 5, this psalm ends with a very direct and firm call to thanksgiving on our part. We are called to enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise, give thanks to Him and bless His name. The focus as we come to worship the Lord is on God, not on ourselves. It's to be on the Lord and And to come before Him as He commands, filled with joy and appreciation from the bottom of our souls. Notice that this is a general command. That means when things have gone well and and you're encouraged and and the sky is bright and all is, is running click and clack with not one beat being missed, you come in and you worship the Lord in joy and filled with thanksgiving and your countenance countenance is lifted up to God. And it's when when it's been a bad day and you fought with your spouse and you're worried about your children and you heard another 
soundbite about the election and you think the world is undone when when there is no hope as far as your eye can see, when you're looking up at the bottom of the barrel and all the pressures of life come down upon you, then the psalm rings out true and sure still. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. You know, when Queen Esther came in the presence of her husband as he sat upon the throne, if she came with a downcast face, he could look at the guard and have her taken away and executed immediately. That was part of the law of the land. You couldn't come into the presence of the king with a frown or a tear because that was to upset royalty and the proper order of things. The children of Israel, as they heard these words, as they sang these words, they knew that they were hearing that the importance of recognizing God as their king and the Lord as their God, that they would come before Him to give Him His due, that that was more important and put all of their problems and pressures and doubts and fears and worries in their proper perspective. Joy and thanksgiving or the proper doxological response, even when you feel guilty, even when you're worried about your children, even when you're concerned about some aspect of relationship or life, you must come and worship the Lord as He appoints. A heart of joy and devotion, with God as the center of attention, Not we ourselves. You see, by Jesus singing these words, by Jesus in the midst of His suffering for us, in every step of His incarnation, marching to the cross and paying the price necessary for our salvation, Jesus Christ sang these words in the midst of a wicked and evil generation that would undo Him in the end according to the human eye. He entered His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. He gave thanks to Him. He blessed His name. He blessed the name of God as He entered the city and as He entered the temple. Even knowing that Palm Sunday would soon give way to Golgotha. You see, the psalmist teaches us here to be filled with thanksgiving and also confession about God. You know, they say confession is good for the soul. And verse 5 seems to say that. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. This is kind of a bedrock Christian confession, is it not? God's goodness here is not one attribute pulled out, and so his goodness is worthy of remembering and praising him for, and that's really important, and nothing else really matters. No, this is a part for the whole. His goodness is the central characteristic around which all of the attributes and character of God are organized in the psalmist singing. 
All of God's covenant faithfulness is cast here in terms of the fact that the Lord is good. He's good to have made us. He's good to save us. He's good to protect us and see us through. He's good to gather us in. He's good to see us safely into the celestial city, into His banqueting table. The new heavens, the the new earth in fellowship with Him forever. His covenant love never fails because He's good. It is for us. It is for you. And for your children forever. And so as we gather on a hot August evening, we do so with this song of Jesus upon our lips and in our hearts and lives. It rings in our ears. And it works its way out through our fingers and our toes. We give thanks to God for His bountiful provision overflowing to us, physical and spiritual. We thank Him for His mercy, which is so much better than we deserve, isn't it? And we thank Him for His presence in His church, in His world, where He calls us to be salt and life, and He calls us to come before Him in praise with singing on our lips, with this psalm on our lips, making a joyful noise and calling all the nations of the earth to do just the same. So I have a little challenge for you this week. This week as you think about some brethren in Juarez who are off helping call the nations to Christ Jesus of our Lord, you remember Hymn 1, Psalm 100, you do a little toe-tapping. All people that on earth do dwell, sing to the Lord with cheerful voice. You, it's okay. It's not just Baptists who can tap their toes. You can tap your toe as you sing that. And you let your heart soar to heaven and ask your heavenly Father to bless them as they carry His word. Let us pray. Oh, our Father and our God, we do ask that as you call us to worship in heart and life, as you call us to thanksgiving and praise, that we would look to you and to you alone, the one who is good. And we will give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.